there was this guy who was moving house and he'd managed to get his fridge to the front door on the trolley. He got to the front door and he was really struggling getting his fridge through the front door. At the same time, his neighbour, who he hadn't seen for a long time, was, uh, was walking down the street and saw him struggling. So he came across and said to this guy, oh, can I give you a hand? He said, I'd love a hand. That'd be really cool. Thanks very much. And so the two of them were there at the front door. They decided one would go behind the fridge, one would go in front of the fridge. And they were working and it just wasn't, wasn't working. The fridge just wasn't moving. And they spent 10 minutes and after 10 minutes, they're both starting to get a little bit agitated, a little bit frustrated that this fridge is just not going anywhere. And the neighbour said, wow, I really didn't think it would be this hard to get this fridge into the house. And the guy said, hang on, we're not actually trying to get the fridge into the house. We're trying to get out of the house. (laughs) And then I went, oh, I had no idea. I'm really sorry. He assumed that he was trying to get the fridge into the house. And the guy obviously was trying to get out of the house. And they were stuck there. And there's this this sense that it's really good to know where you're going. It's kind of handy to be on the same page, to actually know what the plan is. And in that case, you know, it would have saved them a lot of stress and 10 minutes of their time to actually have known what the plan was. But in church, it's funny because we use this word vision. There's this word that gets used quite often called vision. And the interesting thing is, Pretty much everyone I've talked to about vision has a different understanding of what vision is. And it's amazing. And, uh, and so you've obviously got the obvious ones that not about church, about being able to see. That's a definition of vision. And then there's the, the sense of vision being a, a spiritual picture or, or scenario that you, you kind of people get in their mind, of a vision that God deposits that's a picture or a scenario there. But then there's this concept that we use in a church about vision about looking to the future. What is in the future? What, what is the plan? What's happening ahead? And for some people, it's about providing focus. It's about a, a uniting theme or a direction that can, that can bring people together. What's the focus? For other people, it's about specific targets and projects. It might, it might be, you know, we want to have a certain number of people or a, or a project underway by a certain time. You know, stepping out in faith, having a bold faith step to reach a target. For some people, it's about inspiration. It's about motivating people to engage. For other, other people, it's about the prophetic sense of, of sensing what God's specific intru- instructions are, what his direction is for people. And for others, again, it's about leadership, the idea of discerning, deciding and communicating to people about where you're going. And I'm sure there's other things too that you might have in your mind about what vision's about. The interesting thing is every, every book and every talk and every sermon, everything you, you ha- hear about church vision, there is one verse that is used over and over and over again. And it's Proverbs 29:18, And it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. And pretty much every sermon or anything you've ever heard about vision focuses on that, that verse. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But for me, this space has been one that's been a bit, uh, a bit of an agitation. It's been a bit uncomfortable and a bit frustrating. I've never felt comfortable with this idea of vision. And part of that is because I've worked for 15 years in, in marketing space in online advertising. I've made thousands of those banner ads that you see, thousands and thousands of them. In fact, there was one time I was kind of cringing because 
we were doing a campaign for um, Cabri Sweeps, who um, were, were promoting the Lord of the Rings, the first Lord of the Rings movie, and they were doing a campaign where you could win some gold bullion or something. And this campaign basically took over the 9MSN website. So when you went to the website, you didn't see the homepage, you saw this promotion. And when you clicked close on the, the overlay screen, it, the whole page had banners all over it plastered with this promotion. And I'm sitting there creating these, these, these assets for the campaign and going, I'd really hate being on the 9MSN website this day. <laughs> like, that's going to be really annoying for everyone to just see all this promotional material. But, but we did websites, we did uh, sales tools, we did apps. We did a whole heap of things to promote brands and promote businesses and promote sales. And so for me, there's this little bit of a tension with this idea of vision in the church because I know from a business point of view and I know from a marketing point of view that there's a whole heap of buttons you can press. There's a whole heap of things that you can do to, to help encourage people. It's really psychological manipulation. It's, it's encouraging people to make a choice that maybe they hadn't thought about beforehand. And so I go, oh, I really hate that idea. It doesn't sit with me. It, it really stirs me up to have that. And, and I know the tricks and I know the, the ways that it's done and, and it's really effective. But it just it didn't sit well with me. And it's about choice and it's about having competition. But I was thinking, if God wanted to do it that way, he could do it so much better than through the church. If he wanted to manipulate people into making a choice, he'd just have to reveal his glory. And everyone just stops and bows. There's no choice. Do you know what I mean? If he wanted to convince people to manipulate them into responding, he doesn't have to use us. He could do that way better than we can. And I go, well, that's not his goal for vision. That's not what vision's about. But unfortunately, that tainted my view of vision. And I've taken some time to realize that that doesn't mean we throw vision out. Because people try to coerce and manipulate and, and convince people of something that may be or maybe not they want to do, that doesn't mean that vision should be thrown out. So we then move on to looking at, I guess, a biblical sense of what vision is. And again, quite often people go to the Old Testament and look at the Old Testament heroes of their sense of vision. And there's a whole heap of different things that we, we can see there. There's promises of what God's going to do to, to Abraham and Jacob. There's uh, warnings of consequences that uh, Daniel and Ezekiel sort of bring to people. But often, it's because people are in a really bad place. Often, this sense of vision and bringing someone to, to you look at the whole of Judges, there's this phrase that keeps on coming over and over again of, again, the people did their own thing and ignored God. And God had to disrupt them and interrupt what they were doing to draw their attention back to him. And I think to myself, oh, God, I don't want that to be our sense of vision because that means that we're in a really bad place. That means that we need to be shaken up and we're really desperate and you need to do desperate things. And it was interesting, for a different reason, I was reading Gideon this week, fantastic passage, but it actually does capture this idea really well. And we, we read in Judges 6 at the start, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites because the power of Midian was so oppressive the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves and strongholds. So they were so oppressed by the Midianites that they were hiding up in the caves. That was the circumstance that they found them in 
themselves in a really desperate place. And this is where God appears to Gideon and gives him some vision. And it says in in Judges 6.12, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then in verse 14, he says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Fantastic vision. That's awesome. I'm not going to read the whole story, but Gideon went on to do some amazing things with the power and strength of God, and he was a man of vision. He really took what God said seriously and and went and transformed things in an amazing way. But this is the sad part. The end of that passage, chapter 8, verse 33, says, No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baal birth as their God and did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. So for seven years they were oppressed. God miraculously saves them. A vision given to Gideon and he goes and, and as I said, read the story. It's, it's, it's phenomenal and it's been significant to me this week. But at the end of it, when Gideon died, the vision died with him. Gone. And I go, God, I don't want that to be our vision. I don't want a vision to be something that, that's carried by humans. That when, you know, when Dan walks out of the room, we're all just aimless again. Like, do you know what I mean? You go, hang on, that's not, that's not vision that I want. And it's really interesting. I was reminded we used to run a um, prayer breakfast for men. And there was one Sunday that someone was stirred up and went, oh, we really need to get the men off their feet. There's, there's four or five people gathering and the call went out. Guys, come on, get serious. Get into prayer. Come on, you should be down there. What sort of a faith are you, a faith are you living and not coming to prayer on a Wednesday morning? And those that were going were really encouraged because the numbers tripled for about three weeks. And it was fascinating to see. And let me tell you, prayer's hard. I'm not trying to say prayer's easy. I'm not trying to say that everyone should have been there. But I am trying, well, they should have been there. But I am trying to say that it, it is a challenging space and it's a hard space to be praying regularly. It's not always easy and it is a sacrifice. But it was a real lesson to me of where some people had a vision of praying together. They really had a divine sense of what God was saying to them that we should be gathering as prayer. But others just had a sales pitch given to them. They just heard someone use some convincing words that worked for a couple of weeks, but then they had other choices. And it wasn't, they went, ah, oh, it's a bit hard, it's a bit awkward. You know, every, not every week's inspiring. Some weeks are, some weeks aren't. Maybe I'll, I'll give up. So I go, well, that's not vision. And it's like, so what is vision? If those things aren't vision, then what is vision for church? What is it that we want to be, be looking forward to? And I think the answer is actually already in front of us. Funnily enough, that verse that I shared from Proverbs 29 is the answer. It's just misused, often misused. And misquoted. Because the version that everyone uses when they quote that verse is the King James Version. The King James Version is the only version that I know of that says vision. Every other version translates the word that they use differently. Because the word vision is a little bit ambiguous. The passage says, When people do not accept divine guidance, says the NLT. NIV says revelation. The ESV says prophetic vision. It's a very different sense of what that word is because it's very clear that it's about 
God imparting to people. It's very clear that this is God sharing something with someone. And so when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. They cast off restraint. Perish is not they die. Perish is like a, a, an apple that's wilted. It's, it's yuck. It's not healthy. And in this sense, they run wild. They, they cast off restraint. They've, they've lost their direction. They're aimless. We can see that, that in Gideon. We can see that beforehand they were oppressed, but afterwards they just went off and did their own thing. They had no vision. They had no divine revelation. But the funny thing is that's actually the first half of, of the passage, of the verse. The second half seems to be always left off. Strangely enough, because it says, but, in other words, this is the answer to the problem, whoever obeys the law, and in the, this is the word is Torah, so it's God's instruction, whoever obeys God's instruction is joyful, is happy, or is blessed. So we can look at the first half and say, if we've got no direction, then you're going to die. But that's not what, what this passage is actually about. This passage is talking about where there's no divine revelation, people are aimless, but those that seek and obey God's law, God's word, will be joyful. It's a much better picture of what vision looks like. And if we want a brilliant example of that, we only have to go to where the, where the, the church started, in Acts 2. In Acts 2, it says, uh, starting at verse 1, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. What was the last instruction Jesus gave them? Wait until the Spirit comes. Get together and wait. They were just following the last instruction they were given. It might seem like an incidental line, but it is profound. Because the last instruction they were given about the future, the last instruction they were given by their Lord and Saviour was to wait. And so they were, they were obeying the instruction. It, it actually is really significant. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. We've got this picture of a bunch of obedient people. I suspect they were probably pretty scared. I suspect they were probably uh, pretty uncertain. They didn't know what was coming. All of a sudden, God reveals himself to them. The Holy Spirit falls on them and they start doing amazing things, not in their own strength, but through the Spirit that has, has come. There's this divine situation that happens and the Holy Spirit's poured out on everybody that was there. If we move down to verse 14, it then says, And then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my, on, on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. We often focus on Peter in this story. We often focus on him being, because he is the spokesperson, he's the one talking. And we miss the fact that there was a real unity in that space. 
the Spirit was poured out on all people. And yes, he was using his gift and, and talking. He obviously could talk. He could do that well, and he was, he was using that well. But there was a real sense that they were in this together. There's a real sense that they, they weren't following Peter. They were standing with Peter as they were following the vision that they'd been given by the Holy Spirit. They were, they were following what the Spirit had deposited in them together. It's a really significant difference. And it, and it reflects that, that um, Proverbs verse very, very well. We go down to Acts 2.43 and we read, and this is afterwards, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is vision. This is what vision looks like in a godly picture. Yes, there were times where we had to send someone to slap everyone across the face and say, what were you thinking? But this is what he was aiming towards. This is where he was going. He was going to a space where all men and all women have the spirit and gather in unity and purpose. Unlike their wild and aimless forefathers, they had something really, really special. And that was they trusted the Holy Spirit and they were led by the vision that they each had in unity. See, vision is not a strategic leadership tool. It can be, but I don't think in the church that's what it's meant to be. I think trying to convince you to read your Bible more trying to convince you to come to Tuesday night prayer, trying to convince you to, to do these things, isn't God's idea of what the church operating looks like. In fact, we read in the New Testament a concerted effort not to do that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4 and 5, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Vision is the Holy Spirit's gift to every believer. It's not something that someone is gifted with. It is something that is deposited as part of walking with the Spirit. And as a, the, the, the beauty of being a church is we get the benefit of that because when a whole bunch of people come together with vision from the Holy Spirit, it's the same Holy Spirit. So when we gather, when we, when we worship together, when we serve together, when we, when we go out and share light in the community together, we're not doing that as individuals with different agendas. We're doing it with a vision that has been birthed inside us. We're not looking for... Uh, we're not looking aimlessly for something to cling on to. Because the problem with the business sense of vision is business loves competition. Business loves it. Because if people get to choose, it means that I can convince you to change to me. Right? If we do that in the church, all of a sudden, anything that God says that's not appealing, see you later, find a better option. 
And that's the culture that, that commercialism produces in us. It produces, you don't like what you got? Change. And so all of a sudden, we've got this twisted idea of what, what following looks like. It, looks, it begins to look like um, uh, being in a place where, where I like it, where I'm happy, where, where things are going my way. And yet, that's not following God or the Holy Spirit. That's driven by a different motive. And so we're all of a sudden in a, in a predicament where we go, things aren't, don't feel right, so I'll change. And yet when we come back to this biblical sense of what vision is, we go, it's not about choosing what's comfortable or what I like. It's about being where God wants me to be. It's about being in alignment with what his spirit's saying. I was reminded of this earlier this week. For about um, five or six weeks, I've really struggled with motivation. Coming out of the, towards the end of last year, I was, I was, my, my um, mo- emotional tanks were pretty low. And, uh, and then at the start of this year, I went on the Southern Cross Kids Camp and you're giving and giving and giving and that was fantastic time. But I was like, oh, I'm really just not motivated. I'm just not inspired and say, so well, maybe I should, you know, exercise is good for that. Maybe I should go for a walk and that, that'll help. Maybe I should eat a little bit healthier. Maybe I need to go to bed early. That's the problem. Been having late nights. That'll fix it. And none of these things made any difference. I got, I got nothing. To, people say, how are you doing? I go, well, I've got nothing to complain about. It, the, I've got no issues. I've seen people who've got challenging circumstances. I've got none of those. But I'm just really lethargic. i just got nothing. I go, what sort of a, what sort of a pastor is it that can't... can't um, get his act together at the start of the year and inspire um, a body to, to get in and, and do the things they're meant to do. I was like, this isn't right, but what do I do? I don't know. I'll pray about it. I'm not really motivated to pray, but I'll pray and I'll read. And, and, and it was just a frustrating space. But I experienced this on Tuesday night. I experienced exactly what I'm talking about on Tuesday night. Because... Um, and it, uh, Tuesday night prayer is different every week, so don't imagine that this Tuesday is going to be the same as last Tuesday. But I'll just share what my experience last Tuesday. I thought, you know what? My Tuesday's free. First time in a long time that I've had a Tuesday free. I'll, I'll rock up to prayer. That'll be good. It's good to show my face there. It's good to encourage it. I really do value it. Um, so I'll, I, should, I should be there. And I'll just sit in the corner and, and just soak it up. Um, I'm not there regularly, so there's no expectation on me. I can just, I can just hide. Someone asked me a question, and, and I really don't like lying, so I, I was honest and mentioned that I was struggling, and I thought it had gone through to the keeper, but it hadn't. When we finished a time of worship, someone said, I've got a prophetic word for you, Matt. I was like, here we go, just what I wanted, hide in the corner, and now I'm the center of attention. Thanks, heaps. Okay, give it to me. What do you got? And, uh, and they shared. I was like, yep, okay. Uh, thanks. I'll work on that another time. And I'll just, you know, st- you know don't, don't draw any attention and hopefully they'll go away. <laughs> well, that didn't work, did it? Because then someone else said, Matt, I reckon we need to be praying for you. Oh, dear. Okay. So the first person prayed... 
And in their, pray, in their prayer, there was something that they said that I had no idea about. Some emotional attachment that I'd had to some circumstances, and they didn't know either. They were just praying as the Spirit led, and they said, God, please take these hooks out of Matt. And instantly, there was this sensation in me that I was like, oh, this is a bit more spiritual than I was prepared for. And I felt really refreshed. I was like, wow, that was significant. I, didn't, I never saw that. I didn't, in looking at my solutions to where I, was, where I was struggling, I didn't see that little piece of divine revelation that came in through that prayer. And all of a sudden, every single person in that room had something to share that they felt the Spirit was, had for me. And every single one of them was received in a completely different light to the first person. The first person was kind of warning me about what was coming, um, and that was God's graciousness. But every person from that point on shared something really significant and profound that was, for me, divine revelation for where I was at and where I was going. Now, could God have just solved that in my, in my own space and own time? Of course he could. But what he chose to do is get a group of people to stand around and to, to say, God, we want to be united with where you're going. And we see Matt as part of the picture that we're going forward with. And if he's struggling, then we're going to stand with him and we're going to pray for him. And in that space, God revealed to me through them where, where I'm going. He revealed some of the things that I've held on to or I've struggled with or I've, I've, I've distorted. And I didn't particularly enjoy it, I have to say. Sorry to those that were praying. But it was good. It was right and it's what I needed. And for me, because the funny thing is, just to go back a step, I was going to share this message last Sunday. And I was like, it doesn't feel right. Is that just me? Is that because I'm lethargic and not in the right place? that I'm not particularly motivated to share it, probably. Um, but I, I don't want to just get up there and go through the motions. That's a real contradiction to what I'm saying. Um, and, uh, and I had a sense that God gave me something else to share last week. And I was like, well, did I miss here? Is this not a word for the church? And, um, and after Tuesday night, I was like, okay, you had something to teach me first before I was in a position to share. The reason I share that example, and part of the reason I didn't like Tuesday night because it was, I was the centre of attention, but the reason I share it is because it is, a, it is a really simple representation of the divine power at work in the body. And when we look at church vision, when we look at the idea of where are we going, the question we start with is where am I going? The question we actually start with is is the Holy Spirit in me moving and working and the authority in my life? Because if that is not the starting place, then you need prayer like I do. <laughs> if there's something twisted in your perception of what God is in your life and, and what he provides, if you're um, confused about your role or your identity or, or who God is or what he thinks about you, there's all these things that can come in against the Holy Spirit giving us direction. And all those things cause us to be fragmented as a body. And so we start with, God, are you living and active? Are you alive in my life? Is your Holy Spirit moving and working, speaking to me and has authority over my life? 
We start with that as a starting place. And if the answer is no, that's okay. He's gracious. He's loving. He wants to give you those gifts. There was no confusion in that Acts 2 passage that God wanted to pour out his spirit on all people. Don't ever, ever think that the Holy Spirit is for someone else and not you. Don't ever, ever think that God has vision for someone else and not you. That is an absolute lie. Because God handcrafted every single person with intention. And part of your design was for the Holy Spirit to be in your life. And if, if, if that's not a reality, then don't think that you were designed differently to everyone else. There's just some space that needs, needs some, um, some divine revelation in it. All those uh, disciples were sitting in that upper room, obeying the last thing that they were given, waiting. They didn't have what we've got today at that point. But they followed that Proverbs passage and just said, okay, God, if obeying you is the starting point, then I'm going to do that first. And if I do that, then I believe and I trust and I hope that you're going to do everything else. And I guarantee you that he will. I guarantee that because he is not a God that is a liar. He's not a God that gives and takes away. He's a God that provides when we need, not necessarily when we want. And so there is seasons when you just be obedient even though you're not feeling it. And that's okay. Because in God's right timing, if we are obedient, if we surrender to the Holy Spirit, He will give us what we need when we need it. It's an amazing opportunity that we've got as a body to do amazing things together. And, and vision is not something that I, I now think is is a worldly concept that's, that's just a, a way of manipulating people. It's actually a gift from the Holy Spirit given to all of us. And so I guess the place I want to land today is a picture that I think God gave me, that, that I believe that represents where we are as a church today. And I want you to put this word to the test because it's not about me telling you what God's saying. So I want you to test this word and say, God... Does this resonate with me? Is this a word that I see where the church is at? Is this, is this what you're saying to me as well? Because it's only in that space that, that what I share, the Spirit saying, is, is affirmed and confirmed and we can move together in unity. Um, and it doesn't have to be me. This is just one example. And I'm, I'm the guinea pig just to test this. But every time someone gets up and shares something and says, I really think God's saying this, I think it's really valuable for us to say, does someone have a real confirmation of that? Is that something that, that resonates, that you go, yes, my spirit was really excited when you said that, and I really had a sense that, that, that God really wants to affirm that. Because if God's talking, if God's given vision, I want to shut up and listen. I want to obey. I want to be in that place. So this is the picture. It's a picture of a ship. And the, the ship's a worn ship. It's been used. And... The ship has had some work done to it. There's some holes that have been patched. There's some weak areas that have been reinforced. There's some things that have been done to it. And I had a sense that God was saying, you've been in a season of patching up this boat. You've been, been in a season of patching up. It's not a boat, it's a ship. It's big. But I actually want you now to raise the sails. 
I want you to raise the sails. And that's all you've got to do. Because when you raise the sails, I'll blow the wind. You don't have to raise the sails and blow the wind, but you do have to raise the sails. And you've been in a season of, of patching up the boat, but you need to raise the sails. But raising the sails is not one person's job. Raising the sails takes every person on the ship to be doing it. There might be some that sit there going, I don't know where the boat's going, so I don't think I'll raise the sails. There's going to be some that go, I've, I've raised the sails before and I'm, I'm a bit confused or I'm a bit frustrated. That's okay. Encourage everybody to play their role on the ship. There's not one wasted person on the ship. And to raise the sails, to draw up the anchor, to be ready for the wind to blow. And be obedient in that. And for me, that's the season that we're moving into at the start of this year. It's a season of not, there's always repair on the ship, but, but of not focusing on repair, but focusing on raising the sails to move, to be mobile, to be, to be out there, to be a church in motion. Raising the sails isn't about the ship, it's about the direction. And to be, to be looking, looking to where you're going, not necessarily what the ship looks like. So I, I'll leave that with you. And I'd love you to pray about that. I'd love you to, to go, God, what, what are you saying in this picture? What are you saying to me? Because this is not about me saying, this is what I'm saying, follow me. That's a very Old Testament model that we can see has its problems. We're in an environment where the Holy Spirit speaks to everyone and we want unity. And if we're going somewhere... We want to agree, not that it's nice, not that it's easy, not that my role's convenient, but that it's God speaking. To do that, we need a couple of things. And you might be in one of three different scenarios this morning. You might go, I don't know what it's like to experience the Holy Spirit and hear his voice. You might go, I do know what it's like to experience the Holy Spirit and his voice but I just ain't feeling it. I, I just, I'm feeling very distant. Or you might go, bring it on. They're three different scenarios and they're all okay. They're all okay. There is nothing, there is no condemnation, yeah, to those that love the Lord. There is no, con all three are okay, but all three have something to do today.